Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What a wonderful and deeply meaningful statement that is by the inspiration of Scripture, written by the inspired Apostle Paul. One who understood as well, if not better than any human being, just what that complete transformation, what that new creation really means. How significant it is. In Christ, all things have become new because you are a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things, not some, not most, but all things have become new. And you can leave behind all of those old things. The Apostle Paul understood and appreciated that to the fullest possible extent. And oh, he had so much baggage, as we use that term. So much sin to leave behind. So much for which to be grateful for the forgiveness, for the complete transformation that had taken place in his life. You remember, it was he who was holding the clothes of those who stoned the first Christian martyr, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, the latter part. And he was consenting to his death, Acts 8 verse 1 tells us. Consenting to his death. The Apostle Paul in Acts 9, as he was still Saul of Tarsus, was seeking letters from the high priest at Damascus, to go to Damascus from Jerusalem, not content to persecute Christians at home. He wanted to, he wanted to take his persecution on the road. And to bring back those who were of the way, whether men and women, bound to Jerusalem. He consented to the deaths of child of God after child of God after child of God. But on that trip to Damascus, everything changed. Everything changed. So that he could write with the greatest possible conviction the passage we have cited in the beginning of our study today, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Saul of Tarsus went full circle from persecutor to persecuted, ultimately dying a martyr's death, and gladly so for the one who had transformed his life, Jesus Christ. But how did that transformation occur? Through salvation. Saul of Tarsus was saved, as you and I must be saved. And let me make this statement as we look at this subject this morning of the new creation in Christ. That to be saved, to be that new creature, to be a part of that new creation where old things have passed away and all things have become new. To be saved, we must be in a God-ordained place at a God-ordained time. Let me repeat that. To be saved. Every single one of us must be in a God-ordained place at a God-ordained time. And failure to do that will result in our not being saved. Think with me about an Old Testament example that illustrates the point I've just made. Noah and the ark. We are all familiar with that account of Noah and the ark. 
We're familiar with the fact that Genesis chapter 6, beginning at verse 5, says that the wickedness was, of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry, as the New King James puts it, that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have made from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But then we come to, but Noah, next verse, Genesis 6, 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then we learn from the next statement as to why Noah found that grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. That is, he was perfect or whole, complete, not sinless, but righteous and just. He walked with God. And to walk with God, to be saved from the flood, Noah had to be in a God-ordained place at the God-ordained time. Now in preparation for so doing, he was told to build an ark. 300 cubits long, etc. Those specific dimensions were given. And Noah complied with all of those instructions. And Genesis 6.22 says, Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. And then the chapter break is there by man, because we need to continue to read. After doing all that he was to do, then God said to Noah, what? Come into the ark, you and all your household. Why? Because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Now, what if Noah had said, well, I appreciate the invitation to come into the ark, but because I am righteous and because I have been approved and I've done everything that I should do in building this ark, I think that I'll just trust the Lord to save me from the coming deluge by staying right where I am. I'll stand by the ark, but I'm not going to enter the ark. He would have been lost, as all others were, save he and his family, those eight precious souls. Why? Because he would have refused to enter the God-ordained place, the ark, where there was salvation to be obtained. He had to do that. That was the God-ordained place. God said, build the ark, build it exactly as I have commanded you, and then come into that God-ordained place when? Two days after the rain started? No. But before, come into the God-ordained place at the God-ordained time. And had Noah failed to comply with God's instruction in building the ark, and had he failed to accept God's invitation, as it were, to come into the ark, indicating that God was there. He didn't say go into the ark, come into the ark. Come into the ark. Had he failed to do so, he would have been as lost as any other human being in that flood. We know that. We know that. And then if you come to Moses in the book of Exodus, and you come to the plagues that were, that were leveled against the nation of Egypt with the design of bringing that nation to its knees and ultimately causing Pharaoh to let God's people go, the culmination of those ten plagues was the death of the firstborn of Egypt, the death of the firstborn, of everything there. Who was to be spared? 
Only those among the Israelites who what? Were in the God-ordained place at the God-ordained time. What was the God-ordained place? Stay at home. Be at home. Stay there in your dwellings. The God-ordained place. But not just staying at home, but to do something to that home, to that house, that would what? That would save you from the great tragedy that was coming upon all of Egypt, the death of the firstborn. What was it? The Passover lamb that was to be slain and eaten in the prescribed manner, and the blood of which was to be taken and put on the doorpost and the lintel. And what did the Lord say? Well, listen to what he said in Exodus 12 and verse 13. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. In the God-ordained place, having met the specifications, as Noah had to meet the specifications to build the ark and then to be in that God-ordained ark, they had to meet the specifications, slaying the Passover lamb, partaking of it, taking its blood and spreading it on the doorpost and lentils, and then being in that God-ordained place, having made proper preparation, they had to be there when? At the God-appointed time, which was when what? He came through the land, the angel of death, as it were, and took the lives of the firstborn of every creature there, including all the way up to Pharaoh. No one was spared except those who had what? Been in the God-ordained place at the God-ordained time. So it's not difficult for us to see from just these two examples that salvation was in the God-ordained place at the God-ordained time. Now, let's bring that down to today. And let's ask that same question. Where is salvation to be found today? And we answer in the God-ordained place at the God-ordained time. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 10, Paul there wrote, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain, also may obtain the salvation, listen to it, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the what? The salvation, which is where? In Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That last phrase telling us there will be eternal glory for those who obtain that salvation. But where is that God-ordained place where salvation is found today? For Noah, it was in the ark. For the Israelites, it was in their houses with that blood covering those families. Today it is in Christ. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4 and verse 12. So the salvation is obtained in Christ Jesus. There is no other name by which we may be saved given under heaven, given among men other than that name. Christ, that is, by that authority. Salvation unquestionably is in Christ, in Christ Jesus. And no one who claims to be a Christian today would deny that. 
I'm sure all would say, well, you're right on here, preacher. You are telling it just like it is. Well, see if we could continue to say that when we're finished. I hope so. I hope so. But I would hope that'd be true of everyone here. But there may be someone here who, who needs to comply with what is involved in being in Christ where that salvation unquestionably is obtained. And I know there are tragically myriads out here in the world claiming to be Christian who have yet to comply with being in the God-ordained place at the God-ordained time. And I think you'll agree as we go beyond this and go further. There are so many today who would say, yes, I totally agree that one has to be in Christ in order to be saved. Now, if I add to that, that to be in Christ means you must be in the church, that's where the disagreement will arise with a great many people today. Because they will say that to be in Christ is not equivalent to being in the church. And that salvation, I agree, is obtained in Christ. There's no other name under heaven by which that salvation can be obtained. But to say that one to be in Christ is also required to be in the church and that they are one and the same, to be in the church is to be in Christ, to be in Christ is to be in the church, is not biblical, they would contend. But what does the Scripture tell us? And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He, Christ, is the beginning. He is the head of the church. He is the head of the body, the church, the verse says. He's the head of the body, what? The church. And then Christ, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that is the firstborn to rise from the dead, never to die again, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to make of himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body by the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Now think about that. He himself is our peace who has made both Jew and Gentile one. He has broken down the middle wall of separation between us. He's taken that law of commandments written in ordinances, the old law, out of the way, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile, reconcile, bring back to God, both Jew and Gentile, to God in what? In one body. What is that body? He's the head of the body, the church. We've already seen Colossians 1, 18. Reconciled to God in what? One body through the cross. Through the cross. Thereby putting to death the enmity, the hostility, the separation between Jew and Gentile. We are all reconciled to God in Christ. But Ephesians 2, 14 through 16 says we're reconciled to God in one body through the cross. And we've already seen from Colossians 1, 18 that that body is the church over which he's head. If we had any doubt, go back to Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And he has put, God has put all things under his, Christ's feet, and gave him, Christ, to be head over all things, here it is again, to the church which is his 
body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Salvation in Christ, but not in the body? Well, how can it be? Salvation in Christ is in the body through the cross, in one body because he's the head of that one body. And so the God-ordained place where salvation is found is in Christ, but that's equivalent to being in the body and being in the church because once one is in Christ, he's in the body. You can't be in Christ without being in the body. You can't be in Christ without being in the church. The body is the church. The church is the body. If we're in Christ, we are in the church. We are in that God-ordained place. And if anyone had any doubt as to the significance of that body, the church, look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11 where the Apostle Paul writes to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that what? I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. What was that, Paul? To the intent, here it is, to the intent that now, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to what? The eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is he saying here? The manifold wisdom of God was to be ultimately manifested. God had this in mind long before the law of Moses was ever established. He had in mind to establish the church through which and by which his manifold wisdom would be made known to all. And Christ is the head of that church. The God-ordained place today is not the ark, obviously. The God-ordained place is not in our houses where we've spread blood over the doorpost and lintel. No. The place is in the church. But that's to be in Christ because to be in Christ is to be in the church. And these passages we've looked at make that abundantly clear to the objective observer to the one who's willing to accept simply what the Bible says. But what about the God-ordained time? Remember we said that salvation is to be found in the God-ordained place at the God-ordained time. The God-ordained place is in Christ, but that's equivalent to being in the church. You can't have one without the other. But what about the God-ordained time to which the Lord and the Bible says he does, adds us to that church, puts us in that God-ordained place. Oh, here's where the disagreement gets even worse, doesn't it? Because the God-ordained time is in baptism. The God-ordained time is baptism. When we are buried in water where the blood, the blood is contacted. That blood of that lamb, that Passover lamb, was only typical. Oh, it, it did the job on that fateful night. It did the job on that awful night in which the firstborn of every creature died except those who were protected by that blood. But that blood was only typical. It only foreshadowed Christ who is our Passover. And the blood that had to be shed to cleanse all of those even that night who were compliant with the will of God. 
all who lived under any former dispensation of time had to have ultimately the shedding of the blood of Christ, our Passover, to cleanse those under those former dispensations and to cleanse all mankind for all time to come who will meet God in His God-ordained place at the God-ordained time. But that's the key. You can't be saved without the blood. But the God-ordained time in which that blood is reached is baptism. Not before baptism, but in baptism. And the Bible makes that abundantly clear as well. As clear as the fact that Christ and the church cannot be separated, you cannot separate baptism from the blood of Christ. And yet, the vast majority of those living today seek to do that very thing. If I pray the sinner's prayer, and I go away from that prayer, however penitent I am in praying that prayer, however sincere I am in praying that prayer, when I have finished that prayer, I have still not met God at the appointed time. Therefore, he's not going to put me in the appointed, God-appointed place, his church. Because baptism is required in order to do that. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, Paul writes, we were all baptized, he's writing to Christians, for by one spirit, by the teaching of one spirit, by that teaching, that's how you know what to do, by the teaching of the spirit right here in the book. For by one spirit, he writes to Christians, we were all baptized into one body. There's that body again. There's the God-ordained place again. But what was the God-ordained time that put us in that God-ordained place? For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. That is to continue to drink into the same teaching that put us in that God-ordained place, the church. We continue to drink into the teaching of the Spirit that we may know what to do to continually please God and ultimately have that eternal glory about which Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2.10. Salvation in Christ with eternal glory. By one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. We've already seen that one body is the church. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and verse 27. Again writing to Christians, he reminds them, For you are all sons of God through faith, in Christ Jesus. There's the in Christ Jesus again. Through faith, in Christ Jesus. How did they do that? For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The God-ordained time at which you put on Christ, as I put on this coat, and I'm in this coat, the God-ordained time was baptism. That's when you put on Christ. Revelation 1 and verse 5. As the Apostle John sends greetings to the seven churches of Asia from God the Father and the seven spirits which are before the throne, and then he mentions Christ, the faithful witness, ruler of the kings of the earth, who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, washed us from our sins by what? In his own blood. Now compare that with Acts twenty-two sixteen, 16, 
the commandment that was given by authority of Christ to Saul of Tarsus before he underwent that complete transformation when Ananias said to him what? And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and what? Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Those two passages clearly show that the washing of our sins in the blood of Christ is accomplished at the God-ordained time, which is when we arise, stop waiting, and are baptized into Christ. And if you haven't done that, then you haven't met God at the God-appointed time that He may put you in the God-appointed place in His Son and in His Son's church for which His Son shed His precious blood. Romans 6, 3 and 4 is a familiar text to most, if not all, of us here today. Or do you not know Paul again writing to Christians, reminding them of what they had done to meet God at that God-ordained place at the God-appointed time? Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we also should walk in newness of life. Ah, newness of life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Newness of life, new creation. When does that new creation begin? When is that new creation accomplished? When that newness of life begins, which is when? After you have met God, at the God-appointed time in baptism, that burial in water where the blood is applied, that you might be added to His church, the God-appointed place where all the saved must be when the Lord comes again. Go back with them into Ephesians 5.23. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body, Savior of the church. That's the God-appointed place. If you're not there, then you cannot be saved. And I speak not of a denomination among denominations when I say you cannot be saved unless you're in the church. I speak of the pre-denominational body of believers to which those who complied and met God at the appointed time were put in that appointed place, the pre-denominational church of Christ that still exists today despite the confusion that has been caused by the proliferation of denominations that would have people believe that, well, what this man is trying to tell you is you need to be a part of one denomination over other denominations. No, indeed. All I'm telling you is that you must be in the God-appointed place, which is the pre-denominational, non-denominational church for which Jesus shed His blood. And to be in that God-appointed place, God will add you to that God-appointed place, put you there when you meet Him at His appointed time. Could Jesus have made it any clearer than He did when He said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16, 16. Throughout Scripture we find two classes of people. Only two. They're sometimes characterized as the wise or the foolish. 
or those who are dead in sin versus those who are alive unto God. Or those who are walking in darkness versus those who are walking in the light. Those who are for Christ versus those who are against Christ. And in Matthew 12, 30, he said what? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. No in-between. With him or against him. Those are the only two classes you'll find in Scripture. And the only power you will find to transform and to change one from darkness to light, foolish to wise, dead to alive, against to four, is the gospel. It has that transforming power. Paul knew it so well. Thus he wrote, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, and they can become new for you. This very day, if you're willing to meet God in the appointed place at the appointed time, you've heard the word. Believe it. Believe it or die in your sins. John 8, 24. Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Repent of your sins. Turn your back upon sin. Jesus said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all in like manner perish. Confess Jesus to be the Christ, and he has promised to confess you before men, Matthew 10, 32. And then, meet him in the God-appointed place at the appointed time. Baptism is the appointed time that he has appointed to apply the blood of his son. Not one minute before, but in that burial that you submit to by faith, he has promised to meet you there with the blood and to cleanse you there with that blood that he might add you to the God-appointed place in which there is salvation and out of which there is no salvation. And that's the church, which is equivalent to being in Christ. If you haven't done those things, no matter what you have done, thinking you have done what God would have you do, I can assure you, and I've proved it from Scripture today, you have fallen short of what Scripture tells you to do unless you've done those things I've just outlined. Obeying from the heart that form of doctrine, the death, burial, and resurrection. What is it that, that likens or can be likened to the death, burial, and resurrection? Dying to the desired sin and repentance, being buried in baptism and being raised to walk in newness of life, there's the only likeness there is to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the form of doctrine to which all of us must be obedient, meeting God at the appointed time and the appointed place. If you've done that in the past, but you know today that you have wandered from that place, that you have lived in a way to bring reproach upon the church to which you were once happily added by the Lord himself. Come home. How do you do that? In repentance of whatever sin is public that needs to be confessed in that same way. Repent of it. Confess sin before God and before your brothers and sisters who love you and who are eager to pray with you and for you for the forgiveness that God will no doubt extend if you truly repent.
as we stand to sing. Will you come?